Exodus 25 The Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. These are the offerings you are to receive from them, gold, silver and bronze, blue, purple and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red, and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted in the ephod and breastpiece. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. Have them make an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, a cubit and a half wide, and a cubit and a half high. Overlay it with pure gold, both inside and out, and make a gold moulding around it. Cast four gold rings for it and fasten them to its four feet, with two rings on one side and two rings on the other. Then make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry it. The poles are to remain in the rings of this ark. They are not to be removed. Then put in the ark the tablets of the covenant law, which I will give you. Make an atonement cover of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide. And make two cherubim out of hammered gold at the ends of the cover. Make one cherub on one end and the second cherub on the other. Make the cherubim of one piece with the cover at the two ends. The cherubim are to have their wings spread upward, overshadowing the cover with them. The cherubim are to face each other, looking toward the cover. Place the cover on top of the ark, and put in the ark the tablets of the covenant law that I will give you. There, above the cover between the two cherubim, that are over the Ark of the Covenant Law, I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. Make a table of acacia wood, two cubits long, a cubit wide, and a cubit and a half high. Overlay it with pure gold and make a gold moulding around it. Also make around it a rim a handbreadth wide and put a gold moulding on the rim. Make four gold rings for the table and fasten them to the four corners where the four legs are. The rings are to be close to the rim to hold the poles using carrying the table. Make the poles of acacia wood, overlay them with gold and carry the table with them. And make its plates and dishes of pure gold as well as its pitchers and bowls for the pouring out of offerings. Put the bread of the presence on this table to be before me at all times. Make a lampstand of pure gold. Hammer out its base and shaft and make its flower-like cups, buds and blossoms of one piece with them. Six branches are to extend from the sides of the lampstand, three on one side and three on the other. Three cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms are to be on one branch, three on the next branch, and the same for all six branches extended from, extending from the lampstand. And on the lampstand, there are to be four cups 
shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms. One bud shall be under the first pair of branches extending from the lampstand, a second bud under the second pair, and a third bud under the, the third pair, six branches in all. The buds and branches shall all be of one piece with the lampstand, hammered out of pure gold. Then make it seven lamps and set them up on it so that they light the space in front of it. Its wick trimmers and trays are to be of pure gold. A talent of pure gold is to be used for the lampstand and all these accessories. See that you make them according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Well, good morning, everyone. As we attempt to look through this passage this morning and from chapter 25 to uh, 31, I think it's important that we, we pray together. So let's pray. Father God, we pray that you would illuminate our thinking, illuminate our, our minds, that we might see who you are through texts like these, that we might be able to come to worship you as you draw close to us, as you dwell with us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to, to focus in this time together and to meet with you, that you would speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, at the moment, if you go into any shop at the moment, you'll find lots of signs up. Most of those signs will be for masks and using hand sanitizer to try and keep everything as hygienic and clean as possible. And then if you're maybe a doctor or a nurse working in a hospital, obviously the level of sanitation is that little bit higher. People are a bit more strict in what they do in that place. And then thirdly, maybe maybe you're a, a surgeon, and so in an operating theatre, the level of sanitation would be even higher than that, with the hand-washing more, uh, more prescriptive, and everything done to the letter of the law, with protection, uh, protective uh, clothing and everything else. And really, in a sense, this is, this is the case as we look to today's passage. When you speak about the tabernacle or the tent of the meeting, and the high priest and the atoning sacrifices that he offers. All these are to be constructed and made in a way specific, in a specific way that the Lord calls them to do. And he calls them not just to be sanitized, but to be holy, to be holy to the Lord. And they need to be done in a certain way because God is holy and for his covenantal people to meet with him they need to be purified. They need to be holy in order to meet him. And this is because, really, as we saw last week, uh, Moses on Mount Sinai, he meets with the Lord in the glory cloud on top of the mountain. And now God comes down to dwell with his people in a tabernacle, in a tent. And this is really a development in the story is the Israelites, um, the Israelites are able to dwell with God, that God is able to dwell with his people as he meets them in this tabernacle, in this tent. And so we'll see this morning that both the tabernacle, the high priest, and even the, even the sacrificial atonement is a temporary picture of what is a fuller reality. It's a temporary picture of what we now as God's people, as new covenant believers in Jesus, can experience and enjoy. And so we'll see from the passage this morning that really we can praise God as he dwells with his people 
through three areas. Firstly, the tabernacle construction. Secondly, that he is able to uh, intercede for us as our high priest. And then thirdly, by making atonement for our sins. And so as we look at the tabernacle construction, we'll see that God's people give abundantly. They give huge amounts to make a tabernacle for God to dwell in. One of the amazing things in the construction of the tabernacle is the amount of materials that they give. It is massive. They give God, not under, not under compulsion, but as it says in the text, as, as their hearts prompt them to give with amazing generosity. And in a sense, that's the same for us too, that no one tells us what to give, but our hearts are prompted to give abundantly and generously. And in fact, if you look at the, the text, the amount of stuff that they give, which is listed in Exodus 38, is enormous. It's a huge amount of gold, as well as many other resources. And one commentator mentions that, that with the ton of gold, it would cost $33 million in today's money. Then in terms of the silver, calculated it would be $1.75 million in today's money. And then the bronze would be $15,500. And this doesn't really take into account all the other resources which are listed, which we would struggle to calculate today. And the question arises, well, where do they get all this stuff from? Where do they get all these resources? Well, if you look back at Exodus 12, you see that they, they plundered them from the Egyptians. And they, they gave to the Lord out of this abundance that they had because God promises, he promises to dwell with his people. As you look at your Bibles there, it says in verse 8, then let them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. And because the Lord makes a promise to dwell with them, he wants them to make a tabernacle in a really precise way. In his way, as it mentions there in verse 9, make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. The Lord says to Moses that he wants the sanctuary to be made in a very precise and specific way according to his instructions. And as you look from chapter 25 to 31, which I would encourage you to do this afternoon, there are many words that are repeated throughout that section. Uh, the word really, which is most commonly mentioned, is the word make. That God encourages his people to, to make things that they, he would make a covenant with them according to specific instructions. And the other word which is uh, notable is the word gold. Gold is everywhere. The ark is overlaid with it inside and out, and it has cherubim or angelic figures hammered out of gold on the lid. Then there's a gold lampstand, a gold ephod, a, a priestly gown, and a gold breastplate, uh, which are decorated with a gold chain and gold bells. Gold is everywhere. But why gold? Why not just wood or steel or maybe silk? Why gold? Well, as the Lord promises to dwell with his people, he'll only do so in a holy place, a place of purity and excellence symbolized really through gold and speaking with a brother just the past week there we were speaking about holiness what is holiness he was asking you know you hear about it quite often especially in christian circles but what what is it and i suppose really in, in one sense it's about being separate about being set apart in a literal sense it means cut apart 
In this way, it's really about a separation, a total separation from everything that is ungodly, contaminated and unholy and impure. And God, in contrast, is the absolute pinnacle of holiness. Because in his being, he is holy. He is perfect in his moral purity, because in him there is no darkness at all. He is totally perfect in every way. And as it mentions in Exodus 15, who among you, who among the other gods is like you, Lord? And the answer is, no one. No one is like the Lord. And as I mentioned just in the introduction there, with the three tiers of sanitation, with the shop, with the hospital, and with the operating theatre, there's also these three tiers of holiness that we see initially in Mount Sinai and then in, in the tabernacle. In Mount Sinai, as we saw last week in chapter 24, uh, the, first, the first group of people, the Israelites, they couldn't come up to the Lord. They had to remain at the bottom of the mountain. And then the elders could come up, but they couldn't come up all the way. They had to stay at a distance. So they're on the sort of second tier. And then lastly, Moses, he was able to enter into the Holy of Holies, the glory cloud, as he sat with the Lord on the mountain. And really this is reflected in the tabernacle, where we see that in chapter 27, in the construction of the courtyard, most things are made of bronze, reflecting a sort of third tier of purity and holiness. Then some parts of the tabernacle are made of silver, reflecting a secondary level of purity. And then when anything is made to enter into the holy of holies, it's only ever made of gold. Nothing else is symbolically pure enough or holy enough to enter. As we said in the beginning, these things are just really, they're a picture. They are a small symbolic picture of a fuller reality. Because both the tabernacle and then later in the Israelite life, in Israel's history, the temple is a picture of a fuller reality. Because in a sense, the tabernacle even points back. It points back to the, the Garden of Eden. If you read in Genesis, all these things are very symbolic. All these things mentioned in chapter 25 are extremely symbolic of the Garden of Eden in the beginning, where God dwelt with his people. As, as we think about this, God dwelling with his people in the tabernacle, it actually points forward to a more wonderful reality. Because in the Gospel of John, John begins with the Word who was with us in the beginning, and he goes on to say, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The amazing thing about this is that not just that he made his dwelling among us, but the original word for dwelling is that of tabernacle. That God, that Jesus Christ came from the Holy of Holies in heaven, And he made his dwelling among us. He tabernacled with us. That is amazing. And now, at this point where we are today, because of Pentecost and giving the Spirit, that God God dwells not just with us, but God dwells in us. He dwells in us. Because the Spirit of God works in us that he would cleanse our lives. He cleanses our hearts. That he might come and make a home in us. That he purifies 
our lives. And now today, as as Paul speaks about in Ephesians chapter 2, we are that. We are that people. We are that holy place. And it says, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. In him you too are being built together to become holy, to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And this is really the amazing reality that we experience as God's people. That his spirit doesn't just dwell around us, but that it dwells in us. That is amazing. And therefore, in that sense, to experience intimacy with the Lord, we don't need to climb a mountain as Moses did to get close to God. We don't need to go to a place. We don't need to go to Israel, for example, to get close to God. We don't need to build a tent to get close to God. But we can come to God where we are right now. We can come to God where you are sat right now on your sofa. That we might be able to enter the holy throne room of God in Jesus' name. And that is the wonderful privileges that we have as his people. That's amazing. That this is... The tabernacle is truly a small picture of a greater reality that we can now enjoy. And that really brings us to the intercession, interceding for us as our high priest, that that God, for him to dwell with us, has to appoint high priests, a high priest to intercede for us. Even though the people were called to be a kingdom of priests in chapter 19, and then the Lord has spoken to them in chapter 20, they were really still terrified of entering his holy presence. And quite rightly too, because they were aware of the holiness and purity of God and their natural tendency to sin, their sinfulness ultimately. And so God establishes a priesthood to mediate between himself and his people. And we see that as we look to chapter 28, uh, verse 1 and 2, where God appoints a priest. He says, Let Aaron your brother be brought to you from among the Israelites with his sons Nadab, Abihu, Elazar, and Ithamar, so that they may serve me as priests. Make sacred garments for your brother Aaron to give him dignity and honor. So God dressed Aaron and his sons in holy garments to make them fit to stand in his presence. The, the Lord gave him all these garments to make him, to make him a holy priest. And these garments were really, they were like the tabernacle in the sense that they were made of the same materials. Uh, much of the same stuff which was put towards the tabernacle was used for the priestly garments, displaying that it was a heavenly ministry. And the breastplate mentioned in chapter 28 showed that the 12 tribes were written on his heart. As it says in verse 30 of chapter 28. And there was also a plate on his head which read, Holy to the Lord. Holy to the Lord. As he entered in to the Holy of Holies. And yet all these pictures, all these symbols, especially of Aaron as a priest, again are just a picture, a shadow of what we can experience today as God's new covenant people in Jesus. Because where Aaron would would fail as a high priest, Jesus would succeed. Where Aaron disobeyed God, becoming unholy, 
and sinful, Jesus would obey God fully. He would never sin in the presence of the Lord. And so even Jesus was able to identify with our weakness just as Aaron was able to identify with our weakness. And yet Jesus did not sin. And through faith in Jesus, our, our names are not just written on random pieces of stone. They're, they're written on Jesus' heart as he takes us into the presence of the Lord. As it mentions in Hebrews 7, Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our needs, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. And Jesus continues to intercede for us today. Right now, where you sit, the Lord Jesus is interceding for you right now. That he is at the right hand of the Father, both as fully God and fully man, interceding for you right now in the Holy of Holies in heaven. And not only that, but in the priestly sense, Jesus doesn't just intercede for us, but he gives us his robes of righteousness that we might become, as it says in First Peter, we might become a kingdom of priests. And now today, because Jesus intercedes for us, we become this holy, set-apart kingdom of priests that we have written on our hearts and on our heads holy to the Lord, that he makes us holy. And as a result of that, in the light of becoming a kingdom of priests, well, what does a priest do? They intercede for others. Because he makes us that, the focus of our identity should be that of prayer. We should be interceding for one another, lifting one another up in prayer. And it was, as Cal mentioned earlier, it was wonderful to, to hear on Thursday night just so many encouragements in the church of what the Lord is doing as people are continually praying for so many people, so many ministries, that the Lord would open blind eyes, that the Lord would shine his light in the darkness. And not only that, really, as we think about both the, the formal church ministry, but also the informal when we uh, are at home with our, fa- our friends, our neighbors, our family members, that we would have a heart that would intercede for them continually because the Lord has made us a kingdom of priests. He's not only made us a kingdom of priests, but a holy kingdom of priests that by the work of Jesus, he makes us holy. And we pray, therefore, for those who don't know him, that they would have written on them, holy to the Lord. And all these things are possible because of, ultimately, atonement making atonement for our sins. And that's really the third piece in in this section, really. For, For Aaron to be a priest and set apart as holy to the Lord, he had to offer sacrifices. He had to continually offer sacrifices to the Lord. And so he and his sons washed themselves, and wore the priestly garments, and were set apart as priests to the Lord. In chapter 29, uh, verse 19 to 21, Aaron is to take another ram and sacrifice it and sprinkle the blood on his ear, hand, toe, 
which seems a little strange, but again, symbolic, symbolic of everything that he would hear, act, and walk in that would be holy to the Lord. In the same way, that's true of us, that everything in our life is holy to the Lord. As Neil mentioned last week, there is no divide between sacred and secular, that every single part of our lives is covered with holiness. As we look to live lives for the Lord, we look to live holy lives, distinct in every way for his glory. And as we turn back to Aaron, we think really, well, because the Lord makes him holy and his sons, uh, who are priests as well, that he makes them holy to offer sacrifices to the Lord, he makes a wonderful promise to the Israelites in chapter 29, verse 45 and 46. Then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. They will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt so that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. And Aaron and his sons, in the, in the light of making sacrifices, that the people would be able to dwell with the Lord. They had to make sacrifices day upon day upon day. And not only so, but there was one sacrifice, one ultimate sacrifice, uh, which he had to make on the Day of Atonement, mentioned in chapter, in chapter 30. And Aaron had to, had to offer an annual, an annual offering to the Lord on this day, this Day of Atonement, which would appease the Lord's wrath for one more year until the, the people's sin through the year, at which point they had to make another sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. So each day, Aaron would and his sons would make these sacrifices to appease their sins, to wash away their guilt and shame in the light of being in amongst a holy God, to atone for their sins. And at the end of each year, there would be a day of atonement whereby he would make one big atonement as well. But again, these are just pictures and glimpses of what we can now enjoy and experience in Jesus. As the sacrifice of Jesus is a superior sacrifice. It is a better sacrifice. Aaron and other priests could but offer the blood of bulls and goats. But we see, as it's mentioned later in Hebrews, what Jesus offered. In Hebrews 9, verse 11 to 14, it speaks of this. It says, But when Jesus came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say, is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, so obtaining eternal redemption. <clears throat> the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? The best that the people could hope for under Aaron was that really their sins would be atoned for for a time, for a period, until they sinned again and they had to offer more sacrifices. 
It was really just put off for another year. But where Aaron's sacrifices produced forbearance, Christ's sacrifice produced forgiveness. Aaron's sacrifices produced forbearance, but Christ's sacrifices, Christ's sacrifice produced forgiveness. Once and forever. Complete and total. And now we can come to God in His holy presence, pure and holy. As pure and holy as Christ Himself, as God gave Him, He sacrificed Him that we might receive His robes of righteousness, and that we might be as pure and holy as He is. And so now we are consecrated, we are holy people, called to be a kingdom of priests, to intercede for one another. Now today we have become holy in his sight, that we can give our bodies, give our bodies as a sacrifice to the Lord, as it mentions in Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This is how we ultimately worship God as he is holy. Our holy offering to God is ourselves. To offer up our minds, our hearts, our bodies to the Lord. That we would please him in every area of our, of our lives. Because he has washed us clean. That we are holy. That we might live out of that identity. And therefore as Christians, as Christians we need to turn from everything that is not holy. We need to repent of everything that is godless and impure. Turning away from films and TV shows that promote sexual immorality. We need to speak words that build up rather than tear down. We need to not not be drunk, get rid of drunkenness, rid of drunken behavior, and instead be filled with the Spirit. That we would fill our hearts, our minds, and our lives with the holy love of Jesus. And that would shape our lives for him. That we might please the Lord because he is pleased with us. And so therefore, in light of God's mercy, we offer ourselves to him as a sacrifice. We, we want to not just read the Bible, not just pray, but apply these things to our hearts that we might live a life of worship and holiness for his glory. We want to live lives that reflect that, that reflect holiness, that we might be a pleasing aroma to the Lord. As Aaron made sacrifices which were a pleasing aroma, we want to be that, the perfume of Christ, that we might bring him glory and live in a holy way. Let's pray together. And Father God, we thank you for these truths. We thank you for the fact that You don't just tell us to be holy, but you make us holy. You come and you dwell among us. You have dwelled among us and now you have shown your love for us in in paying the penalty for our sin on the cross that we might become holy and pure in your sight. And we pray, Father, if there is anything that is impure, anything that is not of you, we pray that you would help us to confess that and to repent of it to turn from darkness, to turn from everything that is wicked and turn to you, the holy and living God, 
that we might enjoy a relationship with you as you dwell with us. So, Lord, convict us of sin. Convict us of the areas in in our lives that are impure, where there is darkness. We pray that you would shine your light in that area. Let us live for your glory and pleasure. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.